we think particularly today about Jesus Christ, our King, coming into Jerusalem, headed to the cross, that our salvation is just a little different than anything we can imagine. In fact, it's competing views of what salvation is. And so today, from Judges, I want to show you that. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. How important the Holy Spirit is to you and to me, to our very lives. How awesome, how comforting, how amazing. How much he points us to Jesus, to have our trust in him. This is important because we need hope in a time of uncertainty. And there's lots of uncertainty around us. And in the midst of that, our hope is in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You know, there's kind of two whenever you say the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people get a little bit cringy because there's a couple competing models for how the Holy Spirit works and who he is in our lives. The two major ones for Christians go something along this line. That one model is that the Holy Spirit is used by you to accomplish tasks for God. So so kind of it's up to you to join in, to take advantage of this latent spirit, this latent power source that you're going to use in order to accomplish great things for God. That's a model. And then there's another model, a competing model, dare I say a biblical model, that says that the Holy Spirit uses you to do what he wants. You can no more stop him than you can stop a wave in the ocean. I think of the two models. You say, well, can't I do both? And no, it's like, it's like you're, you're not like you're given a car and you're given the keys and you're said, drive well, child. Have at it. No, it's more like you stole a car and you drove off and you ran off a bridge and you fell into a river and the river flows you away and you end up on a beautiful tropical island. Really, the things that you were doing were no help at all at the same time used by the Spirit. You were angrily lighting fires in a field, and the Holy Spirit makes the fire spell out Christ to our neighbor. That's kind of offensive, Dax. I don't really like that. No, wait and watch from Judges as we see today. The God who loves us will accomplish what he wants. Do you believe that? He loves and he cares for us. That's a fact. The only issue is, do you trust it? So we need to take that into this world of uncertainty today. The Spirit's at work, and this great news is that he accomplishes in spite of you, uses you as he wills, blows you where he wants. This indwelling Spirit that you and I do have, it doesn't mean he's under us, that he's a power that we can use and control. Rather, our lives are used by God because he's in charge of everything. And that's a great comfort to you and to me in these troubled times. So come with me to to Judges. And what I would like to show you today, I'm calling it winning losers. Because that's who we are. We're losers. And yet, here we are winning. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And it's from Judges 14 and 15 with a Bible character you know. His name is Samson. Now, the thing you know about Samson with long hair that gets cut off with Delilah, with him in the temple breaking, all of that is next time we talk about Samson, which will be in two weeks. This is the part of Samson you might not know, but I want to share with you. 
So it's going to start with these three things that Samson is. We're telling three stories today that are connected in your Bibles. It's chapters 14 and 15. It sounds like a lot, but it's story. Come, let's hear the story. The first story is about Samson, unwise. And yet, something going on. Let's take a look. Judges chapter 15. Actually, we're going to start in chapter 14, verse 1. So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Okay, so we saw last week the wonder, fantastic Samson's mom, wonderful, wonderful woman, godly, God-fearing, and then they have this son, and they've raised him up. And the first thing we hear of him is that he runs off and wants to marry a Philistine. He wants to marry outside the camp. That's the definition of not being wise. He wants to marry the wrong person. And so he comes back to his parents and doesn't ask their counsel, ask their advice, see what it is they might think. He just says, go get her. (laughs) What What a winner. So it goes on in verse 3, he said, they say, his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Okay, this is a horrible start for Samson. He's a total fool. His parents give him good counsel, marry in the camp. Instead, he goes outside the camp to people who don't worship Yahweh. And he finds someone that's fine to who? His eyes. This seems good to me. Well, it's not good, right? Not wise. There's no good here. And you think, well, hey, God won't be in this. Him going and doing what God says not to do. And I don't like it. He's going to be used. If he's going to be blessed, he's going to need to clean it up. That's what I think. But then there's this in verse 4. His father and mother did not know that it was from Yahweh. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. What? This is from the Lord, this impulse of Samson to be a fool. This should really start to make you and me question, how does God work? Doesn't he take good little boys and girls and use them? Doesn't he take bad boys and girls and then make them into good boys and girls that he'll use? That's my model, right? And it's starting to get questioned by how God's using Samson. God uses foolishness. So it says, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. They came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him. And although Samson had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he'd done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, for she was right in Samson's eyes. Isn't that amazing? It's going to happen three times. That's why we have three stories. Three times today, the spirit of Yahweh rushes on Samson. And you're supposed to see it like he's walking down. He's not prepared. He's not prayed up. He's not meditating. 
He's walking down to go hang out and find and get this woman of foolishness that he wants to marry. And he, whoosh, with bare hands, tears up a lion. The lion came, the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him, he slayed it with his bare hands, unasked for, unprayed for, God at work. It didn't lead to some kind of epiphany for Samson. Oh, oh no, I haven't been doing what the Lord said. Nope, he continues right on his way, right? To this woman he was enamored with, who was right in his eyes. It's like, God works and... We keep on our foolish ideas of what's right according to us. God didn't make him wise. God just used his foolishness. So that's story number one. Unwise Samson, the first time the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him. Okay, here's story number two, the second time. Unclean. So he's unwise, and now look, look at unclean, Samson. And, and yet... Verse 8, after some days, Samson returned to take her, this woman he wanted as his wife. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. It's interesting. Some days later, the bees have come in. He scraped it out into his hands, verse 9, and went on, eating as he went. But as he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them he'd scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Okay, okay, if you think Samson was unwise before with this woman he wants to marry who's a Philistine, this is way worse. Why? Dead carcass? You have the image, right, of Samson, the Nazarite, the clean one, the one who's keeping his vows. He's taking his hands and scraping the inside. That's even the words used, right? Scraping the inside of this dead animal. What does that do to you? By the law of God, it makes you unclean, unfit. That, that's not what you do. And here he does, he takes the honey and he scraped it out and now he's all covered. I even think of, you know, rotting blood around him with the honey that he has. But then he takes it to not just him, who's now he's unclean, but he goes to his parents and says, hey, have some honey. What's he making them? Unclean. This guy's terrible. Not only that, he didn't even tell him. So, so it even has this flavor, right, of the garden, how, how, how the, they say, hey, have an apple, and they eat it, and they eat it again, and he passes it off. It's just, oh, what's going on? It's so bad. He's uncouth. He's unclean. He's unworthy. But in the midst of it, do you see something interesting? I mean, the picture being painted is is amazing, really. Out of death comes something amazing. Out of uncleanness, something redeemable. Out of the death of the world, Egypt perhaps as the lion, they thought of themselves that way, comes the sweetness of life, the honey. And Samson, you know, Samson just marches on. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. He doesn't even realize the things that are being done by the Spirit through him, it seems like. Let's keep going. Verse 10, his father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, as for so young men used to do. 
It's a wedding feast, we think. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Hey, it's a party. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Okay, so he's a gambler too. They said to him, put your riddle out and we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they couldn't solve this riddle. Of course they couldn't. I mean, who knows about the honey and the lion except for Samson? He's unwise. He's not stupid. He's cunning. He's worldly cunning. Notice what he wants. What does he want? I want you to worship Yahweh. No. I'd like some new clothes. So answer this riddle for me. He's gambling to get his desires. And so there in verse 15, it says, On the fourth day, they, these Philistines, said to Samson's wife, who's a fellow Philistine, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Oh, my goodness. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? This wife's fellow Philistines threatened her and her father with burning. They're putting the screws on. The world, right? Remember this. Remember the threat. It's going to come up later. And there in verse 16, Samson's wife wept over Samson. She said to him, oh, you only hate me. You don't love me. You put a riddle to my people. You haven't told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? Hey, this is my thing. Don't worry about it. She wept before him. The seven days of their feast lasted. On the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. And then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? (laughs) So you see what happened, right? He finally told her because he cared for her. She pushed him seemed right that he would eventually say, okay, I'm going to tell you. And then she went and told them, and so they came with the answer to the riddle. She betrayed him. It's always the experience, right? The world, the Philistines representing here betraying. And he's ticked. He said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Wow. <laughs> He's angry, right? But it's, that's a good lesson for Samson. Actually, no, 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 that's not the point. Right here in the midst of gambling and the just desserts of lusting after a Philistine, here comes, here comes the Spirit rushing on him again. Number two, verse 19. And the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who'd been his best man. Samson's just living. 
He's kind of a carnal guy. And in the midst, here comes the Spirit. And so he goes down to Ashkelon. You know, that's a central stronghold of the Philistines, one of their five major cities. And he goes down and he kills 30 of their of their people. He takes their clothes. He pays his debt. And that's that's the Lord. That's the Lord at work providing for him when he shouldn't have made the bet at all. Using his wrongness to do something God wanted. Interesting. Of course, the marriage is broken and the wife now given by the father to his companion instead. And, and, and yet our story's not over. There's one more. There's, there's the rushing in and killing the lion. There's the rushing in of the spirit and 30 pairs of clothing and one more rushing for you to see. Let's look. Chapter 15. Unfettered. <laughs> Samson. And yet. So verse 1. After some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. You probably know what that means. If you don't know what that means, I'm not telling you. But I'll say this. Samson now is over his anger and he's thinking, oh, well, let's go. I really like she's right in my eyes. I need my wife. Let's go get her. But, it says, her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. I've got another one, he says. <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, what in the world, right? The world. It's not what Samson wanted to hear. What seemed right to him was the woman he wanted as his wife. He even called his wife. Someone else did not seem right to him. He's really angry. This world that doesn't treat things right. So in verse 3, Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Why is he going to be innocent? just because he says so. He's continuing right down the line he always has, doing what seems right in his own eyes. He's not praying. He's not asking God what to do. He's not seeking. He's just mad. He's unfettered. Okay, he's doing what seems okay to him. But what he does is, well, it's interesting, he's creative. Look, really. So Samson, it says, went and caught 300 foxes. How do you do that? And then he took torches, and he turned them tail to tail, two at a time, and tied a torch to each pair of tails. And so now he has 150 torches with two foxes each, right? And they tied to a tail. And then what he did was light the torches and let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the, and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. You've heard of the phrase fox in the hen house. This is fire in the hen house, right? Foxes in the fields. So then the Philistines said, who has done this? Who hit us where it hurt so much? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her. 
and her father with fire. Whoa. So that was the response, right? That's what she was afraid of. Back. This world just isn't right. This escalation and tit for tat and fighting and it happened anyway and this brutal action response and, and Samson's like, okay, okay, I'm going to respond too and then it'll be done. Because that, what, seems right to me. So Samson says to them, if, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you and after that I will quit. That seems okay. So, and he struck them, it says, hip and thigh with a great blow sure what hip and thigh means. I can't do a hip and thigh move, but you can try this at home. No one's watching. Go ahead. Seriously, though, he did something with them. And then he went down and he stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. So it says, then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. See, it never ends. It was Samson seemed right. I'm going to avenge myself and then it'll be done. No, it's not. He escalated here. They escalate back. And now they're coming to Judah. And Judah's not covered with glory. You know, Judah, the line of Judah. David comes from Judah. But here they say, wait, the Philistines, why are you attacking us? You're, we're afraid of you. They say it's Samson. So it says, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam. And they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Judah, going out, 3,000 of them trying to control Samson. And Samson saying, I'm doing what I think is right. They hit me, I'm hitting them back. And they said to him, We've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. I have no beef with you. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We surely will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, and they brought him up from the rock. Okay, fine, we're going to give him over, and here come in the Philistines. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Okay, story over. Kind of this is the just results of just living tit for tat and just being unfettered and doing whatever you think is right, right? No. Third rushing right here. Then the Spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and the, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Again, he's not prepared. Oh, look, there's a jawbone. And he put his hand, and he took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. As soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. And that place was called Ramath Lehi. He's unfettered. He's doing whatever he thinks is right. And it was right to him to avenge the loss of his wife by killing Philistine. So he did it. But it's like he doesn't even realize. Right? You see this. That it's the rushing of the Spirit doing things. He thinks God simply granted him favor. 
I struck down a thousand Philistines. No, the the spirit. I mean, kind of. It's like you're walking down the street and four bullies are in front of you and all of a sudden a piano falls on the bullies. I got those bullies good. Here's what he thinks of God, verse 18. He was very thirsty. And he called upon Yahweh and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, me. And now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. I'm a little bit, I read this. Aren't you with me? You're a little bit like, um, Samson, thankfulness? Gratefulness? No, that's not what he does. He does complaint. Like, I did these great things, God. Why aren't you? Now I'm thirsty. You're going to let me die of thirst? Again, doesn't that sound like numbers? Living by his passions, by his felt needs and desires. And yet here God goes. God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out of it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called Enhakore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Okay, this, this is the real story of Samson. Unwise, and yet the plan of God, right? The Spirit rushing upon him. Unclean, and yet the Spirit rushing on him and using him. Unfettered, and yet yet the Spirit doing exactly what God wants done. He did what was right in his own eyes, and that's wrong. He was a loser, and yet he he wins incredibly. Because of the Spirit. So this is the thing for you and me today. And this is our text. But you need to walk away with this. We also must see the wonder and importance of the Spirit of God at work. He was at work in Christ, right? This is why we have the Spirit. You and I have the indwelling Spirit. We know that for our sake He made Jesus, God did, the Father to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't have righteousness in ourselves. In a deep way, in a real way, we have the indwelling spirit, and he's at work, not you, not your flesh, not your works, right? The spirit of the Lord is at work. He's at work in your every day, in my every day. My worldly existence, he's not put off by sin and desire and wrongness, he accomplishes the task at hand. Do you think that? Look with me just for a minute at a place in the New Testament in Romans 8. Paul writes this. He says, But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You and I have the Spirit. He's the Spirit of Christ because by Christ's blood, he's in us. And therefore, he's doing what he wants to do, right? You and I may be Samson doing what seems right. The end of it is death. That's the death of our flesh. The same time, we don't have this rushing of the Spirit, but the indwelling Spirit. And by trusting Jesus, we are righteous. This is our life. 
It's radically offensive because what I think it should be is that I should be slowly a good and a, a preciously behaved person. Trusting in my worked out works. And instead the Bible says, wait, what you have to have is the Spirit. Not to enable you to be in control, but to actually work the things the Spirit wants to work. How do I get this Spirit? Trusting Jesus. We're given life, right? Not because we're wise or clean or submitted to the law, but because we have the Spirit. This is the total assurance that the fruit of the Spirit will be born in you. Do you have the Spirit? Yes. What does the Spirit do? Bears fruit. In spite of you and me, right? Whether it's cool or not, simply because you are God's. This is amazing. This is counter-cultural, counter-world, counter-flesh. God is a great God, and he is unstoppable. He's unstoppable, right? I mean, think about this just for a second with me before we close. The world and all of its structures and powers versus one tiny little microscopic virus. What happened? We're all staying at home. Just a tiny thing. Everything stops. Don't think for a second that the power of God isn't able to do anything. We don't see rightly, right? And in our lives, if we're going to trust, let's trust in the Spirit of God to accomplish exactly what He wants with you and me. Uh, But Dax, I don't see it. Why do you have to see it? You have to trust it. I mean, look at verse 13. It says, but, well, that's I, one more, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This isn't get to be a good boy or girl, get to be a good young man or woman. This is I give up on my flesh, my works. I give up on the ladder I was climbing to present before God that I indeed have been worthy of his love and worthy of the things that he's given me. Instead, you're supposed to be in the spirit like we've seen with Samson today. His flesh is dying, in fact, not commendable. And yet the rushing of the spirit, that spirit that dwells in you and me, there's where life is. Trusting in that. Look, and he ends with this. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Sons isn't gender specific. It can be sons and daughters, right? You're gods if you're led by the Spirit. Are you? The way to know for sure is do you trust Jesus? If your trust is in Jesus, the answer is yes. Yes. This is the two major models for Christianity. One is that the Holy Spirit is used by you to accomplish the tasks of God up to you to join in, and we just don't know if you're being led by the Spirit. Maybe you are and maybe you aren't. You will have no assurance. It's a dead end. It won't be good enough. Your flesh is in it. Or, biblical model, model number two, the Holy Spirit uses you to do what He wants. You can't stop Him any more than you can stop the waves of the ocean. And I'm so glad with you to know in these times that we are carried by the wave. He uses us as he will. 
no matter what may happen today or tomorrow, no matter where this virus may go, no matter what government happens, no matter these things that go on, I know this. The Holy Spirit is using you. The Holy Spirit is using me. And he will accomplish what he wants. This is an amazing thing. God exists. And he has us in his hands. Let's pray.